So today, I want to look at Romans 10, uh, and specifically Romans 10, verse 9. Um, I'll talk a little bit around it. Um, so Paul, Paul wrote this letter of Romans, the church in Rome, the clues in the name, I guess. Um, but he hadn't actually visited the church in Rome at that time um, when he wrote this letter. Uh, Paul was a... Oh, thank you, Eric. Paul was a citizen of Rome, and he did later visit Rome uh, a couple of times, or the church at Rome a couple of times, though, uh, though both times, as we read in the Bible, he ended up in jail. Um, but actually, at the time when Romans written, it was written, it seems that the church in Rome was quite stable um, and wasn't particularly being persecuted at that time, and they were able to, to worship relatively freely, though it wasn't long after that when the church was severely persecuted, uh, in part, apparently, because Nero blamed them for a fire in Rome, which I think he was being blamed for, and he, he moved the blame onto the Christians. But also, the Christians had set themselves apart. They didn't want to really join in with the Roman um, culture because it was a lot of pagan worship tied up in it, so they set themselves apart. Um, and they actually got accused, historically, of being against humanity, which is slightly strange for Christians who worshipped somebody who... Um, very much, you know, humanity was at the centre of Jesus's uh, Jesus's uh, teachings. But anyway, the Book of Romans is a succinct and straightforward explanation of the Christian faith, and it was intended for a, a new church in Rome to provide direction, encouragement, um, and guidance to the community of believers. Uh, like I said, that, that it was uh, now in Rome. Um, and it's one of the most read books of the Bible and, and a, a starting place for many new Christians. It continues to provide that guidance nearly 2,000 years later. I think said slide two then, Eric. I've got the thing, haven't I? Here we go. So across three chapters of Romans, 9, 10, and 11, Paul explains about the gospel and its relationship with Israel. So in the past, present, and future, so in 9, 10, 11, he, he does the past and present and future of that relationship with Israel and the, and the Gospels, or the New Gospels, let's say. So in chapter 9, he covers the history of Israel and how God's promise to Israel is sovereign. Um, he also displays anguish at the fact that the people of Israel, that the Jews, have not achieved righteousness because they've pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. Um, so Paul mirrors here, as Jesus did so many times in his teaching, that the teacher of the, day, of the day had got themselves too absorbed in the details of the law and lost sight of the real truth. Um, and they didn't really then grasp the, uh, the truth of the Trinity of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So they, they shut themselves off. And there was a theme that Jesus repeatedly challenged. Um, we're here in... Uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke actually about Jesus healing the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath um, and he's challenged there is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath um, and Jesus replies well who, if you found one of your sheep in a ditch or needing rescued on the Sabbath, would you just leave it there um, so he very much turns it around and says, so are you saying it's illegal to do good on the Sabbath so a really challenging statement for the day. So in chapter 9, we look at sort of that, uh, uh, the history of Israel. Chapter 11, I'll miss out chapter 10, because that's where I'm coming back to. 
So in chapter 11, however, Paul focuses on the future hope for Israel. And he asks, did God reject his people? And he answers himself that no, God doesn't abandon the people of Israel, but he does use the growing faith of the Gentiles to make them envious. And this in part, and uh, in the hope really, that this in part would bring them back to him. So in verse 1 there we see, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. Um, Then in verse 11 onwards he writes, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Slightly strange thing to write, you might say. That's very much the way he saw it. Um, and, and Paul saw that the new church had got the right idea. They didn't have any of the, you could argue, didn't have any of the baggage. Um, and Paul wanted people to see the salvation of the Gentiles and see the joy and that, uh, that that had brought them uh, and want that for themselves, as we should today when we speak to non-Christians. So this then brings us back to chapter 10, finally. A little detour. Um, In this chapter, Paul has his sights set firmly on Israel's place in the present. He prays fervently that they'll be saved by God and they'll come to embrace the Saviour that is Jesus. Um, Jesus, unfortunately, became a stumbling block for the Jews at the time. Um, He didn't meet their expectations for the Messiah. Uh, They really struggled to get past that. Perhaps they were disappointed because they wanted something different. Or they expected something different. Uh, they didn't definitely didn't like him mixing with undesirables, uh, tax collectors. Um, I guess we would be undesirables if we went back in time now as Gentiles. Um, I don't know whether are we any undesirables in the congregation. No, let's let's not go there. Maybe not. Maybe not. They certainly didn't like that. They saw that as, as polluting, you know, as, as being wrong. That, that the Messiah was to come for them. Uh, and he certainly challenged the comfortable status quo uh, that some of the uh, people in authority were living in. Um, and I think there was a hefty dose of jealousy in there as well, that somehow this was being shared with people it shouldn't be shared with, and, and the salvation was coming to certainly to Gentiles and, and as say, um, uh, undesirables. So they focused so closely on the law without realising and, and also acknowledging that Jesus was actually the culmination of the law and that he was sent there as, a, as an answer to the law. Despite the evidence, they couldn't accept him as the Christ, which Paul saw as tragic because that's where, where he'd come from. So we now make our way back around to uh, chapter 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then it goes on to say, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So in contrast to the previously complex law, but not doing away with that, but in in contrast, this really captured very succinctly. We've got here a very simple self-help plan, I guess, giving us two steps to salvation. Because it, we have to do have to do something in this. We have to help ourselves. We have to believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and then we have to profess with our mouth our mouth that Jesus is Lord. I get adverts all the time on social media, 
um, generally offering quick fixes to problems or uh, a general lack of skill and ability, if I'm honest. So, for example, I, uh, you know, my guess, if you follow this plan, within three months you'll be built like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, clearly I don't need that, um, <laughs> being totally beyond hope in that regard now, I think. Um, or maybe I'll be able to fluently play the piano within eight weeks. Um, and as humans, we're very tempted, aren't we, to by shortcuts. And also, we're very susceptible to hollow promises as well, if we're honest, especially if they tell us what we want to hear. Uh, there's an old mantra, uh, if something seems too good to be true, then it probably is. Um, whilst there may be some good content in all of these programs, and, and I'm sure there is, they're making promises they can't live up to. Uh, a little while ago, some time ago, I bought, I bought a course on guitar, because you all know I play guitar, not as well as Jay. Include, but it included music theory and ear training and all these things. I've been too lazy over many years of playing the guitar to actually bother to learn. But, you know, it, it, it promised that I'd be able to do all of this. Uh, I'm sure it's fantastic. I'm sure it's brilliant. It's so complicated that I'd have to spend so much time learning it. I haven't got the time to do it. So it, it's probably very good, but I'm still going to have to put the work in. You know, there's nothing for free there. You know, it shouldn't be a big shock, should it? So, you know, don't believe the hype. But the Romans 10.9 self-help plan, if you want to call it that, is powered by a stronger force than Facebook. Difficult to believe, I know. Um, this is the only program that can deliver on its promises. And uh, guess what? Anyone can do it. It's open to anyone, even if you don't have Facebook. It doesn't take months or years of practice. It actually just takes moments. It takes a moment of faith. Like, like Jen said before, it's open to us all. Um, of course, you know, then we should follow that with the rest of our years, uh, <clears throat> worshipping God, learning about Jesus, and, and, and learning more. But actually, we get all the good stuff at the beginning. It's immediate. So it's, the, it's the opposite to so many things where you have to work before getting the benefit. It's, it's the other way around. So I tell you what, I'll give you the benefit and, you know, then you could probably put the work in. Um, so we believe internally, that's for us, and then we profess externally for everyone else, the two steps. So we mentioned earlier the mistake the teacher of the law made at the time, that was, was that no matter how good you are, how hard you try, um, how, good, how good a person you attempt to be, um, when it comes to following Christ, you can't earn your way to God. There's no way to earn your way. You can't do enough good things to tip the scales, to tip the balance in your favour. You can't buy, win, impress, cajole, manipulate your way into salvation. Um, God sees through everything. He sees to our hearts, doesn't he? In the Alpha Course, I'd quite like it, Nicky Gumbel uses an analogy of, analogy of comparing ourselves to Jesus uh, and comparing ourselves to each other. So we might sort of say, well, actually, you know, that person over there, they're, they're bad. They're not, they're not a good person. They do all these things wrong. They don't go to church. Um, you know, they, uh, they're not a good person. And then we sort of say, you know, so I feel, you know, I'm doing okay. I feel pretty good, you know. I mean, in comparison, if that's, if that's base level there here, and, you know, I'm up here. But then as soon as you compare yourself to Jesus, who's through the ceiling and beyond, you know, the scale on your graph all changes. So actually... Compared to Jesus, we're all about we're all about here, you know. So there's no. It doesn't really matter how good. It doesn't matter how good we are, of course. But it doesn't as far as getting salvation. You know, I, I thought of it when I was praying this morning. I thought about you know the analogy of running a race. I've used that before. I know, 
And, um, you know, I used to do quite a lot of running. And uh, I reckon, you know, I'm, I'm probably not the slowest person around. Um, you know, I see, um, Rob, I've seen Robert run at the church picnic, run around. And he ran up and down here before with the uh, uh, with communion. Thank you for that, Robert. You know, it's a fair lick. But I reckon, you know, on a head-to-head, I reckon I could maybe, I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll run that one out one day. I reckon I could probably just about pick Robert to the post. Might not be much in it, but just about, I reckon. Um, but if Usain Bolt walked in the front door, I suspect, really, that Robert and I might not have one foot out of the starting blocks and he's over the, over the finish line because the difference would be so huge. So, and I don't think it would matter probably how much Robert and I trained for that. You know, even if, even if Usain gave us three months training, we wouldn't get a lot closer. Um... He would have to stop at the start line and walk along with us, wouldn't he, to first cross the finish line at the same time. And that's an analogy I quite like, that Jesus, you know, he, he kind of brought himself down to our level to cross the line with us. But so rather than be depressing, you know, because we are facing an insurmountable gap from that analogy, the good news is that Jesus has already purchased our freedom on the cross and offered to us as a gift. Um, he's offered this gift a huge personal cost to himself, by dying on the cross and taking our sins on his sinless shoulders. Um, but that means we can accept this gift of salvation by believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. We do, however, have one job, and that's to tell others, to declare with our mouth. So, another analogy. Sorry, I'm on them this morning, aren't I? I used to work with a guy, and we used to call him a leaky bucket. Has anybody heard that before? If you told him something, everybody else would know about it. And the, and the more, the more you know, the more you said that you shouldn't tell anybody, the more you knew everybody would get. It was a great way of getting things around the, the business, to be honest with you. Um, but he was a he was a leaky bucket, especially when it came to gossip. But wouldn't it be great if we were leaky, leaky buckets for Jesus? We were just dripping bits of the Holy Spirit behind us as we went, you know, that we were spreading the, the good news. You know, generally being a, a, a gossipy leaky bucket isn't a good thing. But I think when it comes to to the words of Jesus, that would be a, a pretty good habit to pick up. Not an easy one, I think, for, for many of us, myself included, but it would be a good <coughs> habit to pick up. Many people believe that Jesus was a real historical person, even non-Christians. In fact, the evidence of the existence of a man called Jesus, um, who, was a, who was a popular religious figure and a teacher at the time, is, is overwhelmingly strong. Um, not wishing to go too much on the Alpha course, but I think in that they point out that there's more evidence for the existence of Jesus than there is of Julius Caesar. Well, you know, so it, it's even people who aren't Christians, you know, there is there was a person who did good things. Many people believe Jesus was a genuinely good man. There's a famous line in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, if you've ever read it, and I think it might be the start of one of the books actually. Um, which mentions how Jesus was crucified. And the quote, the, the book says, for saying how great it would be to be nice to people for a change. You know. And actually, people just listen to that simple message of be nice to each other and treat, to, treat each other as you'd want to be treated. The world, without a doubt, would be a much, much better place. It does rather miss the central point um, of Jesus' divinity. So few people would argue that Jesus had good intentions and the Bible says that even the demons believe there's only one God in James. Um, however, they didn't give their lives and ask for his forgiveness. So we've all sinned and fallen short of God's standard, of God's holy standard. It is unachievable for us mere humans. 
we all need his grace, but we haven't, we haven't all received his grace. So are, we, are you trying to be good enough for God? The bad news is you can't. You can't ever be good enough on your own, but the great news is Jesus has already made a way. You can't simply know that he was a real person or think that some of his teachings were nice. We sang earlier, my chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Saviour has ransomed me. So the most important question for us all today is, will you make him the Lord of your life? Will you believe in your heart and declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? And I'd like to challenge us all on that today, to take that away with us into our, our normal work weeks and working weeks. So we'll close in prayer. So if anybody would like to, we'll just have a couple of minutes. If anybody wants to pray out loud, please do. Otherwise, just pray in silence. If you put your hands together, please, let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much that you sent your only son to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you that this selfless act allows everyone, both Jew and Gentile, to look forward to the promise of eternal life. Lord, we cannot earn this honour by our own works, but we can worship you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we'll now sing our final hymn, All My Days, Beautiful Saviour. <laughs>